everyone. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to The Grim Curriculum. And welcome to our first episode of 2023. So, so far this year is off to a pretty wild start, hey? Like, we haven't talked about this on the podcast yet, but we've been chatting about it on social media. So by now, we probably all know the suspect in the murders of the four students in Idaho is finally in custody. Man, you, like, you love to hear it. That's... Oh my god. As much as the situation is incredibly tragic... The fact that he's in custody is a good end to 2022. Like, it was looking pretty bleak there for a while with no suspect being announced. But it looks like through some pretty solid police work, they were able to find the person that they think it was. Yeah, seriously. And I mean, over the last few days and even like the last few hours, we've been learning more about what they did. And it's a it's a pretty fascinating case so far. But the entire story, it's beyond tragic. Our hearts go out to the friends and family of the victims. It's, yeah, it's awful. Absolutely. And looking into coincidentally looking into the Danny Rowling case while something like this is going on and being investigated is honestly really horrifying because there's a lot of similarities in these cases and when you look at someone like Danny you get that idea of what kind of person it takes to commit such heinous acts and the suspects for the Idaho murders gives me the chills me too it's it's the I mean like you say by now we've all seen the pictures and everything and if you haven't Go check him out because he has that look in his eyes, like that dead look, and I hate it. I do just want to chime in and say it, and I even hate having to say it, but he is, of course, presumed innocent until proven guilty and all that stuff. Yeah, but, he uh, he is just a suspect at this point yeah, in time, but... But he's one hell of a suspect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Like we mentioned before, that's not a case that we currently have uh, any plans on covering on the podcast, especially because it's all unfolding as we watch. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be discussing it all on social media. Yeah, absolutely. By by the time this episode is released, we'll probably have even more new information. But as it stands, we're we're pretty happy that they have a suspect in custody because I do not want this to be another unsolved case. I'm if it turns out it is this guy, I'm glad they got him before he managed to go on and hurt anybody else. I'm with you on that 100%. All right, you guys, with that being said, we are on to part two of our Danny Rowling series. And I know last week we said it was going to be two parts, but once Dina got to writing, we really realized quickly that this is going to be a three-parter. So you get three, three fun-filled uh, episodes of Danny Rowling. Um, but that being said, we did enjoy hearing from you all about last week's episode. I'm, I'm for one, I'm glad that we are all on the same page when it comes to this guy. Yeah, like, he's pretty easy to hate. I think we can all agree on that. Exactly. So today we are going to cover the murders themselves. And then next week we will talk about the investigation, the trial, and of course, Danny's time in prison. There is a lot to go over here, so let's get into it. If last week had you feeling like this was one of the worst people we've talked about, then the things we will go over today will cement that for you. His vile acts during this murder spree not only claimed the lives of five innocent people, but he ensured that what he did afterwards would haunt whoever was unlucky enough to discover the grisly scenes for life. Like I said, this was originally going to be a two-part series, but we keep finding more and more information that we wanted to share with all of you. That's right. So welcome to part two of three of Danny Rowling, the Gainesville Ripper. 
So last week we went over a fair bit of information and this episode will be no different. We aren't going to go over a ton from last week, but we do want to give you guys all the quick recap of everything we have covered so far. Last week, we spent a fair bit of time talking about the childhood of Danny Rowling. He was essentially born unwanted, at least by his father, James. James terrorized both his wife and children, often at the smallest provocations. Danny was often subjected to severe abuse and grew up with very little affection being shown towards him. His mother, Claudia, would often try to leave his father and move the family to various places. Unfortunately, they would always find their way back to him and the nightmare would continue. This cycle of abuse was a constant part of Danny's life, and it isn't a shock that he struggled socially as well as in school. He failed the third grade and would continue to have a hard time as a student. This would eventually lead to him dropping out of high school. After that, he joined the Air Force for a short period of time before he was dishonorably discharged for drug abuse and overall immaturity. Soon after that, he became heavily involved with the Pentecostal Church, and that's where he met his first wife, Omather Halco. And I just want to chime in. I've been trying to confirm the pronunciation of her name. Because it is unusual. It's a name that I've never heard before. Yeah, and it's it, it seems like sometimes it's Omather, sometimes it's Omatha, and I think that's like a um, an accent thing. I was going to say, because they have that a Southern Floridian, you know, accent as well. Yeah, so, so if, if we're butchering that, um, I think we're aware and we apologize, but... Yes. I think that might be what it is, but I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it. I'm pretty certain. Okay, fabulous. If, if we're wrong, please let us know. Yeah, absolutely. If you are someone that's familiar with this name and we are butchering it, by all means, feel free to correct us. And if, if that is your name, we are very sorry. <laughs> so, you heard that right. His first wife, and honestly, true crime buffs may be shocked to hear who his second wife was. Because, yeah, second woman married this man. I mean, there's a shoe for every foot, I guess. Like, I'm, I'm honestly kind of excited to get to that entire chapter of this messed up story. I know we're kind of like getting a little ahead of ourselves, but it always surprises me that even after these kind of people are caught and sent to prison, a place where they should be incredibly limited, how Danny and the people like him still manage to stir up so much drama. Right, like, how are you still staying in the spotlight? Go away, we're putting you away, I don't want to hear from you anymore. I completely agree, like, we should not hear a peep from you after what you've done. Exactly. Another thing that we want to mention is that during his marriage to O'Mather, he was still a peeping Tom. He would often spy on women in vulnerable situations, but sometimes he would turn his sights towards entire families like a total creep. And due to this, their marriage did not last long. Not only was Danny a gross peeping Tom, but he was also incredibly emotionally and physically abusive towards his wife. She filed for divorce after he threatened to kill her with a shotgun. You know what I found in the courtroom footage that really stuck with me for some reason? Mm -hmm. They were talking about how she filed for divorce, and so they had someone from the sheriff's department go serve him the papers. And they knocked on his door, and he answers the door, and they present him the papers, and he completely flips out. And the part that sticks with me here is they say that he just started, like, running around the house, like, running in circles until he was eventually stopped. And this is something that they talk about him doing two times in court on two separate occasions. And I just find that to be, like, such a bizarre response. It, it Bizarre is definitely the right word for it. It's 
you know, you almost like you expect screaming or crying or, you know, some kind of response like that. But what does running around achieve? I don't understand that. You know what? This is a like the probably the worst thing on the planet to ever compare this to. But I watch a lot of 90 Day Fiance <laughs> and there's and I'm going to make this make sense. Uh, there's a. Uh, there's this whole thing where some of the guys when they get into like fights and into situations they just start like running and they run away and they have to like chase them down with the cameras I wonder... and this often happens during fights and it's always like the super unstable guys that like you I... find out later have like a criminal past or they've done terrible things and like it's I wonder if it's kind of like this outburst of emotion and because they don't know how to deal with it, they probably want to like punch someone, but obviously he's not going to turn around and punch the sheriff that's just served him with these papers. So he's like, well, fuck, I got to get this energy out somewhere. I'm going to run around and get rid of it. I, 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 you know, I feel like that's probably right because it's like he can't have an emotional response. So he's having a physical response. Yeah, yeah, it very well could be. I just, I found that really interesting. It's, it's just bizarre. You, you see these patterns pop up with violent people, I guess you could say. Yep, absolutely. The divorce caused Danny to go into a deep depression. For him, this becomes a pattern that is incredibly dangerous. When he starts to feel this way, he gets violent. And that's exactly what happened here. He attempted to attack a woman in her home, but she was able to talk him down. And we want to take some time to go over that attack in more detail. We talked about it a little bit last week, but we found more information that we wanted to share with you all because it just shows further that he was already capable of horrific things even before he had taken a life. Janet Frake, the woman he attacked, would actually end up being the only one of his victims to see him die. Danny broke into her home in Sarasota only two weeks before the Gainesville attacks began. And this entire attack to me, it just seems like it was either a murder attempt that was stopped or something that he considered like a practice run gone wrong. We're going to see the differences in this attack when we discuss the rest. But unlike his other victims, she actually had a chance to try and talk to him and talk him down, which thankfully for her, it worked. He attempted to handcuff her, but he couldn't get the handcuffs to stay on, so he opted for tape. You'll notice that after this, he stops using handcuffs altogether and switches to tape for the remainder of his attacks. He taped her eyes shut and ripped off her clothing. He then sexually assaulted her numerous times. He told her while he was doing this that he was going to assault her for the entire night, kill her, and then leave her body in the closet. Janet realized that this was clearly not a sane person and that she was at a very real risk of being killed that night. She then made a decision that undoubtedly saved her life. She began to speak to her attacker as if he was a friend. Which, uh, can you imagine how oh difficult God. that must have been? She was able to show him empathy and kindness and he began to talk to her about his feelings. She figured as long as he was talking, he wasn't attacking her and that maybe she could convince him to just leave. She suggested that they take a break and she offered him a beer. He accepted and ordered her to take a shower. Janet apparently had a love for true crime novels and she had read about DNA evidence. She hid a towel that had his DNA on it without him noticing. And yeah, so she actually had read a few of Anne Rule's books. So those of you who are on her Patreon, you might recognize that name from my little favorite true crime books show and tell that I did. 
Uh, but she worked with Ted Bundy at the suicide hotline as well as did some really, really amazing work with the police. And she wrote some phenomenal books. She's a pretty inspiring lady, along with Janet, of course. They ended up talking for the entire night. Danny talked to her about his childhood. Janet, who had been raised in a very loving home, again thought quickly and began to lie about her own upbringing so that the two would relate to one another. He, at this point, he was still wearing his ski mask, and he asked her if she was okay with him taking it off. Janet, again thinking quickly, told him to keep the face mask on because she didn't want to see his face. She was worried that if she did, he would have another reason to want to kill her. This way, he would think that she wouldn't have a way to identify him. And if this entire thing wasn't making you want to dropkick Danny in the throat, then this part definitely will. This human piece of trash had the audacity to look the woman he had just assaulted numerous times in the eye and tell her that, under any other circumstance, you might have liked to date me. Ugh. I I have so many feelings about this right now. Like, seriously, the absolute ego and delusion on this guy is unbelievable real and not to mention i'm thinking about everything janet has gone through up until this point and now he says something like that to her like she had the (sighs) self-control to just keep on talking to him calmly and i think that saved her life i don't know how she did it i i have no idea afterwards danny would say that he wasn't really out to kill anyone that night anyway he asked her for one last favor before leaving He wanted her to wait 10 minutes before she called the police. Sergeant Bob Gorvin spoke about the attacks in an article posted after Rowling's execution. He said, If it wasn't for the fact that she was able to change Rowling's mindset, Janet would be dead right now. And? I've been in plenty of high-stress situations, but I've never been a victim before. I don't know how she did it, but she did everything right. (sighs) Oh. And unfortunately, another person would be arrested for the attack on her and the DNA she collected, it wouldn't be confirmed to be Danny's until closer to 1996. And uh, I want to add one last thing before we finish talking about Janet for now. I was looking for more information about her after I saw uh, the stuff that you collected from the documentary, Mm -hmm. which is what led me to finding all of the stuff about the attack from her. Um, unfortunately, one of the things that I found while doing all of this was, uh, a 2012 obituary for Janet Frake. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just wanted to take a second to talk about her, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. Um, she achieved her dream of working as a realtor. That was something that she had wanted to do at the time of the attack as well. Uh, she married and she had a family and she spent a large portion of her life working with victims of assault. Uh, And she changed a lot of lives from the looks of it. And uh, one of the things she said at Danny's execution that stuck with me was, uh, I think the good always survives. And if they say that about me when I die, that I was a good person, that I was a good friend, then I'll be happy with that. Oh, man. I know. (laughs) I know. It looks to me like she did just that. Like, I have a whole lot more that I'm going to say about her later. Um, But this was a really, really brave, amazing woman, and she was victimized by him in a whole other way afterwards. And this this is just a whole other reason that I hate this guy. When I was reading through this, I I wanted to say so much, and I genuinely find it hard to put into words just 
how incredibly brave and strong Janet was, the absolute mental fortitude of this woman is, quite frankly, mind-blowing. I know mm. you never you never truly know like what you're going to do or how you're going to behave in a stressful situation until you are faced with it, but her quick thinking and survival instinct got her through an encounter with Danny Rowling alive, and the fact that after all of that, she dedicated her time to helping other victims, Janet Frake is a goddamn hero. Absolutely. And I know that we're going over this when we have already gone over this. We went over this whole thing in part one. But I think after we found like the full information of what had happened to her, and this is all from an interview with her, um, I really wanted to share it because it's, it's, a, it's a terrible, terrible story. But I think it's a story worth telling because she she made it through the other side. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like she still it looks like she had a really good life. She you know, overcame everything, and that's pretty friggin' inspirational. Absolutely. Okay, so we also spoke about the Grissom murders last week. And we're not gonna lie to you, we don't feel like we need to go through the details of all of that again. If you need a refresher, you can listen to part one, but it's just proof that Danny was already capable of extreme evil before he even committed the murders that he would actually become most known for. Just know that he killed an entire family because he was pissed off that he was fired from his job. And if that doesn't clue you into the level of mental instability that Danny is going through, I don't know what would. Yeah, and, and all of this, it brings me back to the Idaho case that we're currently watching unfold. Like like I said, I had the case in the back of my mind a lot while I was researching for this, because how could you not? Mm -hmm. Like, now that they have the suspect in custody, I really wonder if this would have been a situation where he committed, like, that one truly heinous act and then escalated from there kind of like Danny did. Because I, I have such a hard time believing that someone can be capable of something that terrible and then not reoffend violently again. Because, mm -hmm. like, look at Danny. Like, Danny definitely did. Oh, I'll yeah. remind you, he wasn't a suspect for the Grissom murders at any point. He was not on their radar. And that makes it so much worse. We're going to go over how we know it was him later. But the idea that that can even happen is horrifying. Well, and he probably just thought that he was so smart because he got away with it. And obviously that couldn't have helped with the old ego. Yep. And so last week we also talked about the assault on his father, his many armed robberies, and of course the planning of his murderous trip to Gainesville. And that's where we are picking up the story this week. We want to go over a few things before we get into the murders. First of all, we know we mentioned this before, but this is truly one of the most brutal cases that we have ever talked about. We fully understand that for some, if not all of you, this may be incredibly difficult to hear. We'll let you know before we get to certain points of the episode so that you can skip or jump ahead if you feel like you need to. Also, we want to quickly go over where we got the information for this episode. Alongside various documentaries and articles, we went over the court footage for this case. Uh, the rundown of events that we're about to talk about is what was agreed upon based on testimony and evidence. And again, due to this case being from Florida, we have so much information available to us. Shortly before the murders, Danny purchased a K-Bar knife from an Army and Navy store. He would also visit a Walmart where he bought a tent and a mattress. Around this time, he also stole a screwdriver, duct tape, and two pairs of athletic gloves. He then moved himself into the woods. Sonia Larson and Christina Powell were not the original targets that night. It would be sheer circumstance and bad luck that led Danny Rowling to their door. 
That night, he dressed in what the prosecution described as black ninja clothes and a ski mask. A horrifying getup. They called it dark clothing for a dark night and a dark purpose. I mean, that's pretty accurate. It sounds a lot like what he wore during his sexual assault attacks, so we already see him start to build up a pattern here. He first went to a different building where he spent some time watching a woman. He thought about breaking into her house and assaulting her, but he was stopped by someone and he ran away. Soon after, he went to another building and spied on two women. Once again, he intended to break in. This time, he was stopped by a security guard and ran off. Can you imagine finding out that Danny Rowling had been watching you and then was chased off? Oh my god, that's horrifying. Like, (sighs) I I would almost rather not know. No, no. Quite frankly, I would be like, well... You could have not told me that. Right, exactly. Uh, So there's a few discrepancies when it comes to this case. And I noticed quickly that various uh, YouTube videos and podcasts were sharing some different information. So just a friendly reminder that the information that we're sharing today is from court documents. And it's an agreed upon version of the events. Some sources say that he had already been watching Sonia and Christina. And he may have been. But as it stands, they were not the intended targets that night. It doesn't make it any less terrible. But I just wanted to clear that up a bit in case folks are curious about the story being different. Um, I stand by this version of events. Mm -hmm. So at around 3 a.m. on August 24th, Danny Rowling broke into the apartment of Sonia Larson and Christina Powell armed with a K-bar knife and pistol. And just um, if you guys aren't familiar with what a K-bar knife is, it's typically like um, like a very military looking knife, a Rambo knife, I guess you could call it. Yeah. Um, the two, uh, Sonia and Christina, were roommates and they were preparing to start the fall semester of classes. They were both only 17 years old. As he walked in, he saw Christina Powell asleep on the couch. He stood over her and he watched her for a few minutes. He then went upstairs where he found Sonia Larson asleep in her bed. I'm just going to interrupt here real quick. There are many reasons that we have said that this is one of the most brutal and difficult to hear crimes that we've talked about on the podcast. So this is your heads up. Everything we've talked about before paints a terrible picture of the kind of person Danny was. His earlier crimes that we talked about showed us that pretty well. I mean, he's already killed three people, one of them being a child. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because so far, his actions are beyond a doubt evil. However, he's going to escalate here, and we're about to see a whole new level of depravity from him. Danny spent some time apparently deciding which woman he was going to sexually assault. He had been sure to stay very quiet this entire time. Neither woman was aware of his presence, and they were both still asleep. He walked up to Sonia's bed. He then used his K-bar knife to stab her in the upper part of her chest. Before she was even able to scream, he placed two strips of duct tape over her mouth and continued to stab her. She tried for all her life to fight him off, but was unsuccessful. Her body was found with numerous defensive wounds. All in all, she was stabbed 20 times. Like, I mean, think about how groggy you are when you first wake up. And now imagine waking up to something like this. Like, she can't even let out a scream before he tapes her mouth shut. He's already on top of her at this point. She doesn't stand a chance, and he knows that. He wouldn't have picked a victim that he couldn't overpower. Like, this poor woman, she she died fighting for her life. 
And to me, that's just like, you fucking coward. You absolute coward. You are a grown ass man and you chose a a child. She was 17 years old. And when, not just that, but when she was at her most defenseless too. Yes. I mean, you're, you're never more vulnerable than when you're asleep for God's sakes. Like... Ah, goddamn! <laughs> I'm I'm fired up today, guys. Obviously, it's, this is a hard one not to be fired up on. I, if this doesn't fire you up, I don't know what will. Like this is just infuriating. Yeah. So, during the attack, she did maintain consciousness, and she attempted, like I said, for the absolute life of her to fight him off. But unfortunately, it was less than a minute before she succumbed to her injuries. One of the scariest things, if you can even say that at this point, is that Danny did all of this without waking up Christina Powell. When he went back downstairs, she was exactly how he had left her. He bound Christina's wrists and taped her mouth shut. He then threatened her with the knife and began to cut her clothes off. He very violently sexually assaulted her and then forced her onto the floor, where he killed her by stabbing her five times in the back. We mentioned at the start of part one that the murders themselves were gruesome, but that what he would do afterwards made everything even worse. Danny then posed both of the bodies in a sexually explicit way. By doing this, he ensured that the scene would be as horrifying as possible for the unlucky person who would ultimately discover them. He cut off the breasts of Christina Powell and wrapped them in some plastic. He made sure that when he posed Christina, it would be immediately obvious that he had mutilated her body. He cleaned the bodies up with dish soap in an attempt to remove any of his DNA from either of them. After doing this, he apparently felt hungry and he found a banana and an apple. He ate both of them before leaving the scene and returning to his campsite. And he's not the first serial killer to eat food in his victim's house either. Was it BTK that also did that? Uh, It was a lot of them. Richard Chase did it. Ramirez did it. um, Where they'll eat the food. Uh, Ramirez would uh, shit in the house, like, in drawers and stuff. Oh, God. Um, Yeah, like, it's it's such a... It's so brazen. It is. It's very, very brazen. Because it's not like, I did a terrible thing, I gotta get out of here. It's like, oh, I'm gonna hang around a bit. Yeah, I think it's that kind of show of, like, ultimate power. That it's like, I wasn't in a rush. I was in control here. The crimes and the discoveries of the murders happened very closely together. In fact, the second murder in Gainesville happened only nine hours after the discovery of the first crime scene. The order of things can be a little bit hard to follow. So today we're only going over the murders themselves. We will be talking about the discoveries of the bodies next week when we cover the trial. It really is shocking to me how quickly all of this happens. Like, we're going to see him really just lose control of any humanity that he has left. And I, for what it's worth, I don't think it was very much to begin with. No. I have to say that after spending all of this time watching him in the court videos and his interviews, it's almost difficult to talk about what he did and then picture him doing that, if that, if that makes any sense to you. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, there's, it's that right there. That is some of the worst stuff that we have talked about on this podcast. And it's only going to get worse. But look at how much we made fun of him. Like, look at his dumb puppy dog looking face. Like, when you hear him talk in interviews, he speaks almost like in this, like, southern gentleman, like, voice. And he's very disarming. 
And this is a very, very manipulative man. And that's one of the many things that makes him horrifying. Like, yes, he is very easy to make fun of. We've shown that. Yep. <laughs> but this is a monster masquerading as a human being. To me, because this is so aggravating, it makes me want to scream and cry. So if I don't roast this motherfucker, I'm just going to burst into tears. Yeah. It's yeah. when you see him, because there is the, there's videos of the entire trial. It's all completely broken down. And you see him speaking in court at his trial, making his statements. And you can see him trying to be all like, poetic and intellectual but it's so hollow and it's so aggravating to watch it really is like it's 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 his it's difficult to hear him speak it really is and when we were watching the videos it was like I was getting secondhand embarrassment from watching him yeah awful I could see that I could definitely see it because it's almost like who do you think you are like first of all fooling yes yeah but it just goes to prove that um it's all about Danny. It's his production. He's the star of this show in his mind, yep. you know? 100. I could not agree with you more. So during the early hours of August 25th, Danny Rowling broke into the apartment of a young woman who he'd been watching a few days prior. That young woman was Krista Hoyt. Something interesting to note here is that the manager of her apartments, a man named Albert Hoover, had told her earlier that day to keep the gate latched so that no one could sneak in. In court, they talked about this being potential proof that Danny had tried to make sure he had a way in when he had been there earlier that day. Again, another premeditated attack. And this one was only about two miles away from the location of the first murders, and he even wore the same outfit. When Danny broke into the apartment, Krista wasn't there. This is exactly what he had intended. While he had the same murder weapons with him, his plan this time was different. He waited by a bookshelf for her to come home. And the scary thing here is that this happened during the middle of the day. He is getting way more brazen at this point. When she arrived home, he was ready for her. He surprised her from behind and tied her hands behind her back. He then taped her mouth shut. And again, this part is pretty rough, but honestly, at this point, you can just assume that the rest of this episode is going to be pretty difficult to hear. He forced her into her bedroom where he threatened her with his knife. In the court testimony, they talk about him telling her what he was going to do to her, which is honestly just beyond horrifying. Like, again, this man is truly a monster. He cut off her clothing and underwear and assaulted her. The assault took place for over an hour. During this time, he continued to stab her. He then turned her onto her stomach and stabbed her in the back, killing her. He then turned her body around and stabbed her again, this time deeply in the stomach area. He then cut off her nipples and he placed them on the area that he had just exposed. He then cut her breasts off and set them aside, likely to be taken as a trophy. He then removed her head using his K-bar knife and placed it on the bookshelf facing the bed. He then positioned the body on the bed in a sexually explicit way, ensuring that her insides were spilling out. And then he moved some furniture and mirrors around to ensure that whoever walked into the apartment first would immediately see what he had done. And then he left. During all of this, he had left behind the breasts that he had set aside to take with him. And here's where things get a little wacky for old Danny. Wouldn't you know, once he got back to his campsite, he realized he had left his wallet at the crime scene. What a fucking goof up. (laughs) Classic Danny. 
Seriously, though, all jokes aside, like, what a piece of shit. Like, of course he would forget his wallet at the fucking crime scene he just spent a bunch of time making sure it was as awful as possible. Ugh. Like, I'm honestly, like, I don't know about you, but I'm honestly shocked that the name Danny Rowling isn't as well known as Bundy. Honestly, though. Like, he doesn't have, like, the high victim count that Bundy does, and there's things about them that obviously set them apart, but the fact that the details of these crimes are as little known as they are is surprising. Because, like, to me, I hate to compare him so much to Bundy, but this is by far one of the worst crime scenes that was ever reported in Florida. We're going to go into the crime scene more next week, but it's beyond awful. But seriously, his wallet. It really does track that he was so caught up in his own fucking evil production that he'd forget something as important as his wallet. And don't forget, this is the wallet with the stolen Michael Kennedy ID. So what does Danny do next? I mean, doesn't really have a choice at this point, does he? He has to go back. He has to go back. And so he does, and when he gets there, he realizes, shit, the wallet isn't there. But he figures, nah, I'm here. So he goes back to the body and repositions it further. God damn. Yeah. I honestly, it's like, how is this a human? We could get really into it. We could go down a whole rabbit hole of philosophy and your thoughts on capital punishment and all that kind of stuff. But when a person does this... You have proved that you do not belong in human society. You lose your, like, human card. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. Like, away and you're like, no, we can't have you around. Yeah, absolutely not. You, out with the trash, you do, you're not part of us. You are not one of us. Get away. Exactly. No, I couldn't agree <sighs> with you more. So after all of this, he then leaves again. He finds a phone and he calls 911. And when they were talking about this in the court tapes, I thought the prosecution was going to say he called 911 to, like, report the crime or just to say something to lead them towards it. Because that's kind of what you, like, expect to hear next. Yeah, and he wouldn't but, be the first serial yeah, killer to right? like, alert the up. police. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. But no, he called 911 to report that his wallet had been stolen. He then returned to the campsite. So I gave this a little bit of thought because I was like, this seems really odd. Why would you do this? But I think it's his way of trying to cover his tracks because if his wallet was at the crime scene and he just couldn't find it again and then the police find it, he can just claim like, oh, I reported it stolen. I didn't leave it there. Whoever stole it is obviously your real culprit. Like, I think that's more where he was coming from. I, I could see that. I mean, I, I feel bad for, for the real Michael Kennedy. No kidding. Like, like, this guy is just, like, doing whatever. His wallet got stolen a little while back. You know, he's having a bit of a rough month or so, and then you find out your name was used for this. Can you can you imagine? Like, you just see it on the news one day, and it's like, oh, yeah, Michael Kennedy Jr., and you're like, wait a second, that's fucking me. Yeah, exactly. Like we said, we aren't going to get into the discoveries today, but between the second and the third murders, the people of Gainesville, especially the many young students who had just arrived back for the semester, were absolutely horrified at the news of the first two murders. Tracy Paulas had been aware of the murders. In fact, she had spoken to various friends and family members about how she was so thankful to have a roommate like Manuel Taboda. She had actually talked to a friend earlier that evening while Manuel had been out, and she had told them that she was anxious that he was gone and that she was eager for him to return. At around 3 a.m., Danny broke into the apartment that the two shared. 
He was dressed in the same clothing and once again armed with the same weapons. He went into one of the bedrooms where he saw Manuel asleep. And we want to point out that Manuel was a pretty big guy. At this point, Danny has only gone after people that he can pretty much make sure won't put up much of a fight. He attempted to attack Manuel while he slept by stabbing him. As soon as he was stabbed, he woke up and he shot up to defend himself. They go over this fight uh, a fair bit in court because apparently it went on for quite a while. Manuel fought Danny and at one point he almost had him. Keep in mind at this point, Manuel has a huge chest wound. Unfortunately, while Manuel was fighting him off with his bare hands, Danny had a knife. He stabbed Manuel repeatedly in the arms, chest, hands, legs, and face. All in all, he was stabbed around 30 times before he collapsed due to his wounds and died. Tracy had woken up due to all of the noise. She walked towards the bedroom where she sees Danny. She runs back to her room and locks herself in. Danny, who at this point is absolutely drenched in blood, walks over to the door and begins to break it down. And I, I struggle to put into words how horrifying that is. Like waking up, first of all, to the sound of your roommate being killed and then having a blood covered serial killer breaking down your door to get you no horror movie is gonna prepare you for that moment and th the thing is is that tracy and manuel had been friends pretty much their entire lives they were really close and oh. so that's why they were you know like that's why she said like oh i'm worried but i'm, I'm glad that manuel's here because you know he's a yeah. big tough guy and all this and then you're like, oh shit, okay, great. I'm currently in a horror movie and my brain is not working. Like, <laughs> oh and And God. the scary thing too is like, she knew it was him. Like once he broke down her door, she was able to ask him a question. She said, you're him, aren't you? To which he replied, yeah, I'm the one. Danny was able to subdue Tracy. He then tied her arms behind her back and taped her mouth shut. He really is a creature of habit at this point. For sure. He cut off her clothing and assaulted her like he had his previous victims. He rolled her onto her stomach and stabbed her in the back three times. Danny spent a fair bit of time afterwards cleaning and posing the body so that once again, whoever discovered the crime scene would walk into an absolute horror show. What's interesting to note is that during these murders, he did clean up the bodies, but he didn't really do much else with them. He left them in a way that was obviously shocking, yes, but this crime scene wasn't nearly as brutal as the second one was. Still, we aren't saying that this wasn't absolutely horrific, it was, but it almost seems as if he lost interest partway through or like ran out of steam and he just left. And with that, Danny's weekend murder spree was over and five people were left dead and mutilated people were beginning to discover each of the three murder scenes, and at this point, police knew that they had a serial killer on their hands. And that's where we'll pick things up next week with the investigation of the murders, the trial, and Danny's time on death row. Woo! Woohoo! Oh my lord. Oh, oh my god, that was a tough one. Like, I know we said it again and again last week, but I honestly don't think anything can prepare you for hearing things like this. It's a reminder that people exist on this earth that are capable of things beyond anything we could ever imagine in our worst nightmares. Again, we're seeing this in Idaho, like, right now. The entire time we've been working on this series, I've had Idaho in the back of my mind. Same. Like, we're seeing... 
Like, how could you not? Seriously, we're seeing something quite similar to this in a lot of ways play out. And people like Danny Rowling still exist. Like, he's gone now. And I'm honestly, I'm happy about Mm -hmm. that. But there's always going to be others. All I know is that hearing all of his court shenanigans and the way he behaved in prison is going to piss you guys off a lot. I mean, I... (laughs) You guys know by now, I'm a little rager. I'm, like, angry all the time. That's kind of my thing. (laughs) But this is just, like, it fills me with such a rage because it's so senseless. Those kids, and they were kids. They were just, they were baby innocent students with their whole lives ahead of them. And this absolute fucking scum took that away not only from them but from their families and their friends and the people that love them and then not only that but on top of all of that he terrified the people of Gainesville like he held that town hostage with the fear that he caused because he's a fucking loser of a human being and he decided it it's it's disgusting yeah sorry guys I'm like fucking fired up No, no, honestly, like I said, if this is the kind of thing, like, if this doesn't get you riled up, I don't know what will. Mm -hmm. Like, the only thing that has kept me going through this series, and this has been, I would say, I don't know about you, but to me, this has been probably the hardest series that we have done to date. And I mean, Um, we talked about fucking Pee-wee Gaskins. Yeah, and like, like, early on, we tackled it. Exactly, and this... I honestly think it is because of the current events and stuff at the moment. And it is like, it's pure coincidence, but there's so many of those similarities. And I think there's a part of me when I'm researching true crime and learning about different things in my mind, I'm like, Oh, it's, it's history. Like it's something that's happened in the past. And then you see something like that happen in the present day and you're like oh wow okay this is still happening you know like absolutely we haven't as a society moved beyond that yet unfortunately exactly because i think a lot of the other cases that we've covered it's like holy crap this was such a terrible thing i'm so glad this doesn't happen today or something like that you know Mm -hmm. where it's like this is literally happening as we speak It's rough. Like, I know after hearing all of this, you're probably feeling like you need to play with a bunch of puppies or something. Like, we don't blame you. (laughs) Like, we have, don't forget, like, we do have a bunch of lighter hearted episodes available to you if you feel like you need to hear something less awful. Yeah, absolutely. You can go use them as a little bit of brain bleach and learn about something else. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. These, honestly, these episodes are always so weird to me because, like, I'm really proud of the work that we put into this series. So it's like, I hope you like it. You're going to hate it, but I hope you enjoy hearing us talk about it. Mm -hmm. Like, so I hope you guys at least, like, you found this interesting because at the end of the day, the fact that a human being can get to this point is incredibly fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's terrible, but I want to understand it. And I think as a society, we need to look at what goes into creating people like this and stopping it at the source. And I sincerely hope that one day we can offer the correct support to families and need to stop kids like Danny from growing up into monsters like this. I completely, completely agree. I mean, there's always going to be an anomaly where it's like, yeah, they were raised in a perfectly fine home and they still did wild and crazy things. But you see again and again that childhood development is so important into becoming a functioning member of society and not doing heinous shit like this. So I I agree. I hope 
at least at some point we can get to a point where care can be provided in the early stages to prevent this. With all of that being said, first and foremost, thank you so much to everyone who's been supporting the merch store and posting pictures of your goodies. We love seeing our merch out in the wild. Yes, thank you so much, you guys. Seriously, it, it really means the world. And of course, a very huge thank you to my very talented co-host for designing oh, stop it. the merch that we all love so much. Because it was also her birthday yesterday, so happy birthday, Charlotte. Oh, thank you. I'm in my dirty 30s now. Ooh, Here it is. I think so. I've got high yeah. hopes. <laughs> You're off to a great start. I think so. Um, we also, of course, want to take a second to thank everyone on our Patreon. We just did our first movie night, and it was so much fun. Oh, my God. We watched Krampus, and quite frankly, it was a blast. What a weird-ass movie, oh my god. I'm not even kidding. It's Krampus has to be on my now-official Christmas movies list. I really liked it. <laughs> right now, we are voting for our next one, and it's between The Devil's Pass and Monster. So we're really excited. So if you're into movies, uh, we're trying to watch movies that are like related to cases that we've covered. Mm -hmm. um, come join us. It's it's a good time. Yeah, and like we watched Krampus because obviously we covered Krampus and the other Christmas ghouls. Um, so they might not always be quite that. Um, maybe lighthearted's not the right word, but um, like obviously Devil's Pass is based on Day Out Love Pass and Monster, obviously Eileen Muerno. So they're not going to be quite as um, lighthearted, but related to some of the stuff we've talked about, nonetheless. Yeah. You can support us on Patreon for as little as $3 a month. Supporting us over on there and purchasing our merch really helps us out a lot. We appreciate it so much. We're working towards some more merch designs and different types of products as well. And we constantly have new content coming out on Patreon. We really love working on this podcast and we appreciate all of your love a lot. And with Hi. that being said, we want to shout out our Grim VIP tier and up. So big Frickin' thank you to Brian, Hillary, and Mudkip. And also thank you to Pink Flamingo and Lisa for being a part of our Grim Cinephile tier. You guys are the bomb.com, the cat's pajamas, the bee's knees, the titty city. You are awesome. Yes, you are. And until <laughs> then, make sure you don't miss out on the Grim Curriculum news by following us on Instagram at The Grim Curriculum and Grim Curriculum on Twitter. And you guys know by now we are also on TikTok and Facebook, so you can look us up. And we are also available on most podcast platforms. You can also find us both on social media. We will link our personal socials down below with some other fun links. Thanks for listening. This has been The, the Grim, Grim Curriculum. Curriculum. Hey guys, uh, humans have enough bite power to bite off their finger, bone and all. The only thing stopping us is our brain's natural safety factor. So thanks brain. Thanks brain. And bye. Bye. bye.